Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Dundry Gardening Podcast. Today we'll be talking gardening and sea trials with our special guest and answering some more of your gardening questions. Due to the current situation, we are once again recording from our homes via conference call. I'm James, the shop manager, and I'm hosting today, and I'm at home in Cheltenham. And with me are Gemma, our sea production manager, who's at home in Tewkesbury. Hello, Gem. Hi. Uh, Matt, our podcast producer, who's at home in Gloucester. Hi, Matt. Hello. And Chris, who's the owner of Dundry Nurseries, and he's at home on the site. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Uh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's. Um, I think. I think uh, compost has become the next toilet paper. So I'm really struggling. To, if you can imagine that, I hope you've got imagination. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. Every every customer wants compost. So that's that's been. I mean, I'm, we're getting a steady flow of visitors to the to the door. Um, we seem to have sorted out a system now that is accept, acceptable. That's to say, we've we've had discussion with with the authority about what we're doing. Um, and we're literally dealing with one person at the time and becoming personal shoppers. There's no no access to the site at all. Um, so we're we're doing a fair amount of mileage. But what's lovely is the sociability and the generosity of folks. So somebody turned up with a, a jar of marmalade, and somebody else turned up with with a loaf of bread, and all sorts of things that that people are just delivering to the door to to share. And comfort one another on the journey. It's good. It's, yeah. it's been, you know, it's, it's, it sounds daft to say it's been good, but it's it's been lovely. We've had very supportive people. So that's yeah. Well, Dundry has always been sort of the heart of the community in our local area, hasn't it? So it's nice that um, you're still receiving that sort of input from people. Yeah, it's been it's been brilliant. Well, we hope all of you listening are safe and well and enjoying the extra time that you may have in your garden. Our guest today is an award-winning garden journalist who writes for numerous publications, including Cotswold Life magazine. On her popular website, she reviews garden books, products, and open garden. As well as this, she carries out sea trials for some of the country's biggest sea producers, and she finds time to give talks to gardening societies and clubs. We are pleased to welcome Mandy Bradshaw, the chatty gardener. Hello, Mandy. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. How are you finding the current lockdown situation? Um... Difficult because it's challenging trying to write gardening speeches without actually visiting any gardens. But my own garden is getting some much needed TLC. It's looking tidier than it has done in years. I think everyone's in that position, aren't they? Mine's looking pretty spotless. Um, so on your website, The Chaffee Gardener, you describe gardening and writing as your passion since childhood. So when did you start gardening or what's your sort of earliest gardening memory? I can't remember ever starting gardening. I think I've always gardened. Uh, my earliest memory is planting out the Zembryanthemums with my mum when I was a toddler. It kind of dates me because they're a little bit out of fashion now. Um, I always had a patch of garden at home, um, as did my sister, and we used to grow things. When I was a student, I could have only house plants because I didn't have a garden. And then when I first moved to Cheltenham and I was living in a flat, I had a window box. So probably the best thing of all was um, actually getting our first house and having our first garden. Then how did you get started as a journalist and how did that then lead you into um, garden writing? Well, again, journalism is something I've wanted to do since about the age of seven. Um, I started a school newspaper when I was 10. Um, and then when I went to university, I worked on the student union newspaper there and stood for election. So I was a sabbatical officer, which meant I got paid. Uh, we used to produce between uh, 24 and 40 pages a week and distributed all round Cardiff. 
Uh, I went on and did postgrad um, in London on uh, at the City University, uh, doing a postgrad diploma in newspaper journalism. Uh, my claim to fame is I was on the same course as the now editor of the Sun. Uh, I right. started <laughs> my first job with here in Cheltenham, working on the local newspaper, and I kind of fell into garden writing. I was asked by a friend to write up her garden, which was opening for charity, which I did, um, and got it into the newspaper. And then a few months later, I got called in by the editor, and um, she said, you like gardening, don't you? Yes. And she said, right, the gardening um, reporters failed to produce any copy. Um, you can do it. So I took on a weekly gardening slot. It was the middle of November, not the best time of year to do it. Um, no. And I wrote, I wrote the gardening for the two local papers for about 18 years. And by the time I finished, it had gone from a picture and a small story to a double-page spread every week. So, uh, and over the years, I, my work has just gradually morphed more and more into gardening, and I don't really do anything else. The online work I do running social media for various people are all for nurseries and garden designers. I write for other people's blogs, um, websites, and that's really what I like to do. So it's brought my two passions together, gardening and work. Yeah, that's really good to be able to combine those two. Um, and obviously you must write about open gardens and things. Yes, yes, it's and, one of yep. the, the... We're very lucky in Gloucestershire. We have some fabulous gardens. A lot of them are open regularly to the public, either under their own scheme or through the National Garden Scheme. And we really are spoilt for choice. We've got internationally famous gardens and some absolutely cracking small private ones as well. Yeah, we are really lucky in this part of the country to have so many gardens that are, would mm -hmm. usually be open to the public. Um, yes. Have you have you got any favourites amongst those that you visited and written about? Ooh, that is so hard. Or is hard. it a bit like asking you to pick a favourite child? <laughs> yes, it's a little. Um, I suppose there's one that's always stood out in my mind. Um, I obviously have the, the epithet of the chatty gardener. This was one garden that when they opened the garden gate and I stepped in, I was silenced, which is rare. Hepgarten uh, Manor, designed by Ginny Blom. Um, it's show garden magic in the middle of the Cotswolds. It's absolutely stunning. I've written about it a couple of times. Uh, when I last interviewed Ginny, she told me it's uh, one of the country's most written about gardens. Unbelievably popular. Every time she posts photograph of it on social media it goes berserk absolutely beautiful what sort of style is that garden oh right a sort of classic english i suppose you would say it's very very carefully designed it follows the footprint of the old manor house and the yards and uh, walls and outbuildings uh, so that um, the old sheep droving route is now one of the main spines through the garden, obviously beautifully planted. It's been very carefully terraced, it's got wonderful pleached trees which give it a sense of enclosure but still allow you to get the views over the wonderful countryside around it. And it's full of Ginny's uh, trademark planting of beautiful perennials, blousy things, geraniums and peonies and roses. But that's, that's sort of held together by some really good topiary. You've got uh, columns of yew and box balls, various things like that. It is absolutely stunning. Lovely. Wow, sorry, I was transported a little bit then. Um, <laughs> have, you, have you taken any inspiration from your visits to your own garden? Or? Well, one of the hardest things, of course, is going out to some of these absolutely fabulous gardens, coming back, looking around your own and going, why do I bother? 
Um, generally, of course, a lot of those that I go to are managed by full-time gardeners or a gardening team, um, or they're people who are retired and have an awful lot of time to spend on their garden. Yes, I suppose I've picked up little bits of influences as I've gone along. I've been very fortunate to be given a lot of plants. Um, one of the things is the potager at Barnsley House. Um, I've got my own vegetable garden, it was originally a little bit allotment style, but I've had a garden designer come in and redesign it for me into beds with a, a more of an intricate pattern to them. And that looks really lovely all year round. Um, other things, oh, I don't know, odd plants, I suppose. The trouble is every time I go somewhere and see something, I think, oh, I'd like to grow that as well. Um, of course, really yeah, I have the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think all gardeners do that, don't they? They go here and there and they see it and think, oh, I'll pick up one of those next time I see one. Or often these gardens are selling these plants on the way out of them, aren't they? So you can pick up a, a plant that you've seen growing in one of these gardens. Yes. Always makes a garden um, visit even better if there are plants to sell. Yes, they're plants. <laughs> <laughs> <Cake> and plants. <laughs> Um, and as well as obviously doing the garden writing then, Mandy, you also um, trial seeds for some of the, the bigger companies in the country that distribute seeds and also trial plants. Oh. So how did you get involved in that and what do you, what does that involve and what, what sort of things you've grown this year? A lot of questions there, sorry. <laughs> well, it's the sort of thing that I've done for years, um, simply because when you're in the gardening press, I'm a member of the Garden Media Guild, which is a trade body. Um, and a lot of us get approached by the seed companies with, would you like to try this? They want us to try out their new introductions and to write about them. It's as simple yeah. as that. So it's something I've increased a lot since I started my own blog website. Um, and I now do it every year. Uh, I grown an awful lot of tomatoes. It's one of my absolute passions, so I always have new varieties every year. Um, sweet peas are another thing that I grow an awful lot of, and I have several new ones again this year to try. And then about two or three years ago, I started a cutting bed. It's not on a grand scale, but it's, um, yeah, it's doing well. And that means I've started to grow an awful lot more cut flowers, a lot of annuals and things, which was something I'd never really done a lot of before. So I've got several new things to try this year. Um, some of the most exciting, actually, I met somebody from uh, Garden Organic, who, of course, run the Heritage Veg um, Seed a bank and they've sent me uh, three varieties of things to grow. There's a climbing French bean, I've got a striped tomato that's going to be striped red and yellow and something called black down blue pea and these have all got wonderful stories behind them. Uh, they're all just starting to germinate actually the pea and the bean I noticed this morning and the tomatoes have made quite nice little plants already. So that's something that I'm really excited to be trying this year because it's a little bit different. These heritage veg are so important to keep going. Yeah. Uh, what else have I got that's new? Oh, uh, China asters. Never grown them before. I've got these from Chiltern Seeds. Um, and I've got a couple of apricot varieties, which I'm going to be really interested to see. Evidently, they make very, very good cut flowers. So that's uh, another thing mm, that's new okay. this year. Um, other than that, uh, the usual range of different veg um, and things. I've got a, um, I'm trying to think what it, you describe it. Um, oh, it's called wok brock. Um, it's a Chinese broccoli that you pick as a sort of cut and come again type of veg and you use it for stir fries. 
So that's something okay, new. sounds interesting. Um, and that's something that Sutton has sent me. Okay, lovely. And obviously, as you're finishing there talking about veg, lots of people mm. in the current situation are turning to growing veg. So for any mm. newbies to gardening or even old hands, have you got any growing tips or garden tips that you've picked up over the years that you think are um, a good, uh, good tip to, to pass on? Parsnips are always one of those difficult ones. They're either feast or famine, I find. You either get absolutely everything germinate or nothing at all. Uh, a prize-winning parsnip grower many years ago told me not to be too quick to sow them. Um, leave them, you know, well into April, actually, because the soil really needs to warm up. And I think people tend to think of them as one of those things you can get going on very early. Something I've done for the past couple of years is I've pre-germinated the seed in a, um, a just a Tupperware, but preferably with a lid and a couple of layers of damp kitchen towel in the bottom, put the seed on it and then you can see what will germinate. And it's surprising, you don't get 100% germination on parsnip. Uh, and then uh, the family think I'm mad, but I'm there then uh, putting the, planting them out with a pair of tweezers into the uh, drill. <laughs> Um, okay. But it's and you have to have fresh food. That's something that's um, that sweet corn and I think lettuce to a certain extent as well. You have to have fresh seed every year because it really doesn't keep terribly well. Has your approach to gardening changed at all over over time, or have you are you doing the same tried and tested methods that you started out with? Well, obviously things like um, growing the parsnip that way um, and various other tips because. Um, I always say I'm not an expert, but I know who to ask. I've spoken to so many good gardeners over the well mm. decades now that I've been writing about it. But yes, you do pick up odd tips and things. I think possibly the biggest change, and I've seen that across gardening, is the move to not use chemicals. I've never really used very many, but I have stopped completely, absolutely anything in the garden now. And also, for about the past 10 or more, 10, 15 years, I garden peat free as well. And I think that's something that is increasingly becoming the norm um, and something that we all really need to embrace. Yeah, that sort of yeah, thing think... it used to be. I hate to say it used to be a bit hippie-ish, didn't it, a few years ago, but now <laughs> I think so many more people. Well, it, it was sort of perceived like that, wasn't it? But now I think. You know, as you say, it really is the way to go. Um, and there and are so many, much, 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 there are so many much, much better peat-free composts around now as well. I know yeah. when I first started using peat-free, because I used to get sent stuff to trial years ago, and you'd get sort of big pieces of bark and stuff and that, like that in it, but there are some really cracking, um, good quality peat-free composts to use. Okay, and then let's just finish on a few quick-fire questions, shall we? Mm. So, um, <laughs> what is your, <laughs> yes, on the spot, what is your favourite gardening trend or one that perhaps is your most disliked gardening trend over the years? Okay, favourite one I think is the current increase in grow your own. I know it's because of lockdown, mm -hmm. but I'm hoping it's something that people will hang on to. Uh, at least say it has to be artificial to People that invent yeah. that should be shot. <laughs> awful, yeah, I don't get that awful stuff. Just don't like it in private gardens. Can't see the point of it. Okay. And one thing you would love in your garden, if money was no object at all, Mandy, what would that thing be? <gasps> Difficult to choose. I thought about replacing the fence with a wall, because I've always wanted a walled garden. But I think it would be one of those fabulous greenhouses that you see at Chelsea, the old-fashioned style ones with the intricate cold frames on the outside and plenty of room. Okay. What's the plants that you wish you'd never planted, Mandy? Ooh. <laughs> Well, there are a few. Soapwort, um, Saponaria officinalis. Looks beautiful, pale pink flowers, late in the summer, so a great time of year. It runs like an Olympic sprinter. 
nightmare stuff. <laughs> wow, okay. And again, this is going to probably be like my question asking you if, which is your favourite child. Um, have you got a favourite plant or group of plants maybe? Like most gardeners, it's whatever's in flower at the moment. Um, so I lurch from one favourite to another through the year. So currently tulips, adore tulips. Next month it'll be something else. <laughs> yeah, I think the tulips are looking good this year. We've been lucky with the weather this spring. I know now the weather's changed a bit here and we're having a bit of a colder spell with a lot of rain, but uh, the blossoming tulips this year have been fantastic, haven't they? They have been wonderful. It's going to get wet and windy because the peonies are about to come out into flower. My gran always said that we got bad weather when the peonies were out. Uh, I've been out for my walk today, my allotted one hour walk, and I saw some peonies opening up and they did look beautiful, but yeah, they're probably yeah. going to get ruined with all the weather coming. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, Mandy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. And now it's time for some of your gardening questions. Our first question is from Anna, who asks, what is causing the damage to her broad bean plants? Gemma, perhaps you could give some insight into this one. Yes, I'm suffering some similar damage myself to my broad bean and pea plant. And the most likely culprit is the pea and bean weevil. Um, it's a small brown beetle, smaller than vine weevils, um, if you can, if you know what the size of vine weevil is. It's a very, very small beetle. And the, uh, the adult beetles eat semicircular notch, notches out of the leaves themselves and also um, the flowers on, uh, on the bean plants um, in spring and early summer. And the damage, to be honest, can look fairly devastating, but Surprisingly, in mature plants, it won't actually affect the growth that much. Um, established plants can tolerate quite heavy damage. So control of these uh, little beetles isn't necessarily um, needed. You can choose to sow autumn varieties of broad beans, such as the Axelsi or the pea, um, Meteor is a good one, um, as these will put on quite a lot of growth whilst the, the weevil is dormant and stands um, up to the damage later in spring a lot better. Um, growth in smaller plants can be checked if they are badly damaged. But I've, I've heard a tip on this recently that keeping the plants well watered can actually help to deter the beetle um, as apparently they don't like damp soil. Um, I think the damage has been fairly bad recently because of the um, dry weather that we've had. We didn't have rain for weeks and weeks. So hopefully now the bit of rain that um, we have had uh, recently will deter any further damage, um, but keeping the plants well watered if we have a dry spell like that again can help. Um, another thing that can um, assist in, in deterring them is crop rotation, as they lay the, uh, the beetles lay their eggs at the base of the plants, thinking that they'll have a food source when they hatch. Um, so if you practice crop rotation and plant something else, brassicas or root vegetables then in that spot next year you'll be depriving those new little grubs of their host plant food so you won't get um, a resurgence hopefully. Um, general pest preys are available for these beetles but um, there are other options and it's not really necessary to go that far but if you're going to spray anything don't do it when the, when the plants are in flower um, to avoid endangering you know, the pollinators, the useful insects that you do want in your garden. Okay, lovely, thank you. Um, and then Chris, our next question is from Judith and she's been in touch and she says, um, my Clematis Montana is covered in flowers and looking fantastic, but I don't know when and how to prune it. So, and she asks any advice. So Chris, 
Yeah, Montana's a great, a great um, variety. That family, vigorous, very early to flower, very prolific, lots of small flowers usually, depending on, on which variety, they'll either be white or pink, various shades of pink. Um, and they are very vigorous in their growth. So they are, they are actually a nuisance in, in that they, they grow everywhere and they can really become dominant. Don't, don't attempt any pruning until after the flower is finished. Um, the guidance used to be that you could take shears to Montana, and it's true, you can. A pair of shears on Montana, and you can chop the thing back very hard indeed. What I tend to find is that, um, yeah, by all means, tidy the plant up with a pair of shears. That's, that's a good way to go. But be modest. Be modest. Nature has this, this funny habit. It seems that if, you, if you're aggressive with it, it will, it will defy you and grow back with renewed vigor. So, so make up your mind to prune it twice, as one might if you were doing the hedge. Trip, trip the thing up and get the plant back into control using shears. And, and a little later in the season, towards the summer, run over it again with those shears and restore order. Still giving time then for new growth to come on through. It is the case with that species that actually I have known Montana to be chopped back to nothing and still make a very robust attempt to re-establish for the next season. But yeah, is it immediately that the flower is clear? It's a delightful plant, very special. Okay, thank you. Um, and then Matt, finally, with more people growing their own veg, um, we've been asked on Facebook about making raised beds for growing veg, so the sort of depth that people would need in the mix of compost. Um, can you give any advice on that? Yeah, sure. So I think a lot of people are actually looking at their gardens differently now and trying to utilise the spaces that they've got that they might not have grown anything in before. And I think raised beds are a really good option for this. Um, clearly, they can be temporary uh, structures if you wish, or you can leave them in more permanently if you're choosing to use a more durable material, such as stone or concrete. Being able to control the actual soil mixture and formula is really beneficial. Something like 60% topsoil, 30% compost, and 10% potting soil, or something with you know perlite and vermiculite, is probably what I recommend, uh, and I think is most commonly used. I would say that if you're planning on using something like timber, then pallet wood and, and sleepers are great, but just make sure that they're not treated with anything too toxic, um, because obviously you don't want to put anything toxic in the soil if you're, if you're growing an edible okay, crop. Okay, thank you. And that's all for this episode. Our thanks to Mandy Bradshaw for joining us today, and thanks to Gemma, Matt and Chris. You can now listen to our podcast on your smart speaker, as well as the usual podcast apps. Join us on our next episode for more tips, talk and tales from the Garden Centre. Stay safe, and it's goodbye for now.